Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. It it may be of interest uh, to you to learn that we typically have between 60 and 80 people who will go uh, through our ashes to go on Ash Wednesday, which was just last Wednesday. Uh, and, uh, and more than half of these, or about half of these people, are not from the church. They're just folks from the community that, that see this opportunity and come and drive through. This particular Ash Wednesday, we had more than a dozen people come into the church office because they didn't make it in time uh, for the drive-through. And about half of those were not church-related. I particularly like the two high school boys with their backpacks who were clearly uh, Roman Catholic, who had missed the opportunity elsewhere and came into the church office. I find that interesting, and I find it a blessing that we're able to engage the community in this way. What is also interesting to me is that after more than two decades of Ash Wednesday observances, I still cannot remember the right amount of ashes to prepare for Ash Wednesday. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I have to mix together the ashes and the olive oil, and when it's all done, I usually have enough for about 100 more people than have come through, uh, through the, the drive-through or the ashes to go. And that might suggest that I am something of a slow learner. Or it might suggest that I'm simply a quick forgetter. Now, perhaps some of you can relate to being quick forgetters as we try to recall yet again the reason for the season of Lent. The word Lent comes from an old English word uh, that means lengthen. And what that is referring to is the gradual lengthening of daylight as we move from the darker days of winter into the longer days of spring. And so the word Lenten also conveys springtime. Lent is 40 days, not including Sundays, that prepare us for Holy Week and for the subsequent 50-day celebration of Easter, what's called Easter Tide. Now, perhaps like me, you grew up in a Protestant church where Lent was not a big deal. Uh, it wasn't, may not have been focused on at all because that was way too Catholic. I became aware of Lent because my best friend in middle school and high school, uh, Bud Robb, was a Roman Catholic. And what I remember is that every year during Lent, he would choose something that he was going to give up for the Lenten season. So he would give up um, chocolate uh, or candy or sugar and, uh, during, during Lent. And so it it happened that during that period, the only reason we would stop by Circle K after school was for my benefit, not for his. I do not think that Bud actually knew 
that uh, the Sundays in Lent do not count. So that when you're, you're fasting from something for those 40 days, the, the, the Sundays don't count. And whenever I say that to people who've grown up Roman Catholic, they, like go have, they have to go ask a priest to confirm that. And the priest will confirm that that's correct, but usually they haven't let that information slip out. And so like, uh, so like Bud, you know, he didn't know that. And so he'd actually go 46 days with whatever it was that he was fasting from. Now, our uh, theme for the days of Lent, these next few weeks, is gathered up in Jesus. And this theme is based on Jesus' words in Luke 13, 34, where he reveals his longing to gather up God's children as a mother hen gathers up her chicks. Jesus' words are, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Now Jesus' use of feminine imagery to describe his yearning to care for and protect those he longs to save, I think is quite evocative. And I can easily imagine, and I'm sure you can too, that sense of yearning when we just think about those U Ukrainian parents who are, are yearning to get their children over the border and into safety. As the season of Lent begins, we turn to Luke's account of Jesus' 40-day temptation in the wilderness just prior to the beginning of his public ministry. Let's listen. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Pontus, and my family has been attending St. Paul's since the summer of 1996. Today's scripture lesson is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It is worth noticing 
that in the Gospels which tell us this temptation story, that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is not in the Gospel of John, in each of the three that do tell this story, each of them says that Jesus faces this 40 days of temptation immediately following his baptism. That's why verse 1, that's what it's referring to when, when it says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he'd been baptized and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tested by the devil. I think we need to notice that order of events. Jesus is baptized and that's when uh, God says, this is my beloved. And then Jesus is tempted. Which reveals that, that uh, baptism is not, as some people tend to think of it, some sort of sacramental Teflon coating. Indeed, baptism will lead us into a direct confrontation with the di diabolical lies and deceptions that surround us, lies that we've mistaken for truth, which is one of the reasons I did that last nine-week series, because many of us have mistaken some of uh, what Scripture says and not taken the whole of Scripture into account. To be sure, the Gospels reveal that in the very moment that God claims us, we will straight away deal with clamoring voices that are trying to drown out God's voice. Voices that are working overtime to make all of us quick forgetters. So here at the beginning point, we are here at the beginning point of our 40-day Lenten journey. And the days ahead are a time to reflect on how we've given heed to any of those demonic voices that have led us to act and believe in ways that contradict our baptisms. It is a time to inventory how we have denied and even betrayed our God-given identity. It is a time where we are called to remember that what God says about us, who God says we are, is more significant than any of the voices that are trying to tell us otherwise. A common way of interpreting Jesus's uh, temptation is to cast him as some sort of vanquishing hero who is resisting the devil's lures to, to comfort and to glory and to security. But, but don't all of the temptations that Jesus, is, that Jesus faces, don't they boil down to just one? The temptation to be less than who God has claimed him to be. At his baptism, God says, you are my beloved. But the deceiver wants to persuade Jesus to act in ways that would make him less than that. And isn't this the same 
temptation we all face. Day in and day out, we, we face the temptation to heed voices that want us to believe that we are less than God's beloved. Especially for our middle schoolers and high schoolers. I, I, you know, it was bad when most of us were in, when, in school. I just, it's, it's horrible now, I, I think, what they have to face. And social media and all of this makes it so hard. And so how do we resist the temptation to be less than who God says we are? And how do we resist treating others as if they are less than beloved of God? There's nothing that tells us that just because we're Christians, we're more beloved. And I want to offer three suggestions that we can put into practice during these 40 days of Lent, things that I hope you will not quickly forget. First, we need to recognize that we live in a culture, indeed we bought, we, we built a culture that uses words to destroy and to, to dehumanize and to demonize others. We are bombarded with a cluster of voices that tear people down. In fact, it's, it's a form of popular entertainment. Not to mention our political theater. And some folks just are making piles and piles of money saying things that denigrate and abuse those they wish to scapegoat. And they make that money for many of us. And the problem is that as we listen to those voices, we too are dehumanized. We become less gracious. We become less humble. We become less patient. We become less loving towards those we disagree with and towards those who are different than us. I don't recall where Jesus said that it's okay for you to treat others as less than you are. Maybe you have that scripture to point out to me. In Luke 6, 32 and 33, Jesus says this to his disciples. If you love those who love you, and it's really, if you love only those who love you, what credit to that is you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And then Jesus shares his most upsetting and most ignored commandment. Love your enemies and do good to them. Love your enemies and do good to them. In other words, Jesus says, Change the way that you feel and act towards those who you despise. Given that Jesus said this, I cannot 
believe that Jesus wants us to spend any of our time listening to those who speak ill of others, whoever they are. What would happen if over the next 40 days we stopped listening to voices that demonize or scapegoat others? At the end of the 40 days, do you think you'd feel better or worse? It might lead to a significant change in some of our TV viewing habits, especially cable news pundits. To have to shut that off? I don't even know if we can do that. Might have to change the things that we read. I just wonder how we would feel. And that leads me to a, a second harder suggestion. What if we find ways over the next 40 days to hold our tongues? What if we simply resist saying anything directly or in gossip that treats anyone as less than a child of God? No put-downs. No repeating rumors. No negative teasing. No hearsay. And no resharing emails or social media posts that do any of those things. You know, and better yet, what if we consciously decide to find positive, life-giving, compassionate things to say about those we have been speaking ill of? I once read in a, a devotional, it said, in God, there are no good guys and bad guys. Now, I don't know what to think about that in light of Vladimir Putin. I don't know what to think about that in light of some of our own politicians who are playing footsie with white supremacists. I don't know what to say about that or think about that in light of those who are spreading really dangerous conspiracy theories. But I did hear recently uh, something that I, I found quite compelling. A philosopher, um, Dr. Cornell West, who, who many find to be quite controversial. He taught at Yale and Harvard, and, um, and uh, he teaches at Union Theological Seminary. And I heard, he, he said this. He said that he learned from his Sunday school teachers and church that if the kingdom of God is within you, then wherever you go, you ought to leave a little bit of heaven behind. Anything to disagree with in that? Isn't that beautiful? To think that if the kingdom of God is really within us, which, which we, as we gather in this place, this is what we're, we're about, then wherever we go, we should be leaving a little bit of heaven behind. So maybe that's how we keep our tongues in check during this Lenten season, asking ourselves if wherever we go, are we leaving a little bit of heaven in our wake? You know, I can't, I can't say that and not think about Jerry Swisher. 
right? We're going to celebrate her life. Jerry is somebody that I would point to as somebody, a, a person who left heaven in her wake. Those of you who know her know that. She really did. So, you know, we, what, we have what, uh, WWJD. If you can't do what Jesus would do, do what Jerry would do. <laughs> right? You know, many of you uh, commented on my wife's uh, lovely Facebook post um, on, for Ash Wednesday. And I have a third suggestion that's really in keeping with what she posted. I, I want to suggest that we take time over these next 40 days to really remember how God feels about us. One of the most beautiful concepts of God I've read uh, um, over the last many years is actually from the shack. I know some of you read this. I, you know, it's not going to win a Nobel for fiction or anything like that. But it is, has some really beautiful imagery, what I would call some imaginative theology that beckons us to really contemplate what we think about God. And, and in it, you know, God is depicted as a black woman. And, you know, for whatever reason, there were some people who took offense at that. You know, I just wonder if they remember that Jesus talked about himself as a, as a mother hen. But, but, but God, in the book, has this way of saying, I'm especially fond of you. So, you know, when it's talking to the protagonist, protagonist, Mac, you know, I'm especially fond of you. And then when Mac mentions anybody else, oh, God says, I'm especially fond of them. God is especially fond. I think we need to, to remember over Lent that God is especially fond of us and not just us. Just as Jesus had three go-to scriptures during his temptation, I want to I want to share three scriptures that you might use to remind you of this truth during Lent. First, remember what happened on the sixth day of creation. When the work of creation was complete, God looked at everything and he made it and said, wow, that is really good. Okay, that's my translation. <laughs> but I think it's right, you know? God just, and remember that God, looked, according to the scripture, God looked at everything. And that includes human creation, but it doesn't exclude every other element of creation. When God says everything is really good. And Lent is a time where we need to remember that. Second, uh, Lent is also a time to reclaim the affirmation of Psalm 8, 4, and 5. That we have been made a little less than God. And crowned with glory and honor. Some of you grew up, the translation was, you have been made a little lower than the angels, but that's incorrect. The translation is, you have been made a little less than God. Boy, that's a high, high thing to think about. And Lent, my brothers and sisters, is also a time to repeat the affirmation of Psalm 139, verse 14, which declares that we have been amazingly and miraculously made. 
Again, some of you grow, grew up with the translation, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what it means. You were amazingly and miraculously made by God. And, and again, in our reading, Jesus resists temptation by going to some other scriptures that the, that the, that the devil was not quoting in full. And, and we as followers of Jesus, we can do the same thing. Use these scriptures that help us to remember who we are. Who God has claimed us to be. Lent, my friends, it can be a time of sober reflection. But as I said at the beginning of the, of the message, the old English word for Lent is connected to spring. So, so friends, this is a time for a spring cleaning of our souls. Let's clean up what we listen to. Let's clean up what we say to and about others. And let's remember that God claims us as beloved. And so there's no reason to listen to any voice which says that we are less than that. I think this is a good word for all of us who can be quick forgetters.